And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 382 for the week of October 19th, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, books, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. The Rivers of America in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom is more than a beautiful, serene waterway that carries guests to and around Tom Sawyer Island. It's a storytelling vehicle that's rich in history and details and tributes to real American history and folklore, as well as some Disney films and characters as well. It has its own comprehensive backstory, and this week, I welcome you into Liberty Square and Frontierland and aboard the Liberty Bell Riverboat as we virtually explore the history of the Rivers of America. We'll discuss its current and former attractions, including the Mike Fink keelboats and Davy Crockett Explorer canoes, as well as some of its many wonderful details as we record it live inside the Magic Kingdom. Then I'll have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show. I'll have some updates and announcements, including more information about upcoming events, including our Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World and November's Meetup out in Disneyland. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. research for my audio guides, which are sort of virtual walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, I spent a lot of time in lands that maybe often I wasn't spending as much time in as I should have, which was Liberty Square and Frontierland, and I really found that I gained a new appreciation and a new love for these lands and the history and the detail that's put in there. And one of the, the parts that I always enjoyed, even as a kid, was I always liked water features. I always like the water features in the parks, whether it's a lake, a pond, a waterfall, whatever it may be. And the Rivers of America is sort of that that flowing body of water that follows along between Liberty Square through Frontierland, yet is actually something that is, dare I say, sometimes overlooked by the average guest who maybe doesn't want to take a ride on the Liberty Bell. So I thought that this week I would come 
to Liberty Square slash Frontierland and take a deep look at, pardon the accidental pun, at the history and the details and the stories of the Rivers of America. And when you think of Rivers of America, of course you think of the Main Street Gazette and Ryan Wilson, who is actually here out of the Gazette headquarters uh, in Walt Disney World. So, Ryan, welcome. First of all, welcome home. It's good to be back. <laughs> and so we've been talking about, you know, doing something uh, in person because normally we're, we're separated by thousands of miles and, and Skype. And this is one of these things that we've been talking about doing for a long time because I think, like you and I, we, we have this nerdy appreciation for the rivers of America and what was here and what's here now and maybe some of the things that people overlook along the way. Definitely. I think you know, it's one of those places that brings life to the park, whether you know it or not, and some of those little details do get overlooked by countless people on their way to whatever their next attraction is. So let's talk about sort of the, the, the river itself, right? Because um, you know, people see this and you know, we're going to sort of maybe break through the illusion a little bit. Um, you know, this is actually a man-made river. It connects to the Seven Seas Lagoon through a series of locks um, in front of the Magic Kingdom. And it's actually, you know, it's, it's made to be this dark, murky color for a very specific reason. Right. It, it very much wanted to take its cues from the color and the feel of the Mississippi River. And also because it needed to hide something, too, which was the track underneath. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the Liberty Square itself. But let's sort of talk about, you know, the river, because, it, like I said, it does sort of follow the flow from Liberty Square into Frontierland. And like that journey, it really does sort of follow along with the growth and the expansion of America from east to west, forward through time, and then sort of backwards through time as you sort of leave Big Thunder Mountain and the Gold Rush in the west, and they all kind of meet up in the middle uh, at the Country Bear Jamboree. But it really is sort of uh, a way to, like I said, follow that journey through time and uh, across the country. Definitely, and you also have that whole piece where you also have that whole piece where you know, life was always on the move. The boats were always on the move. And the, so, you, so you get that with the riverboat, and you're almost, you're almost, it's almost like your time machine as you go through, but there's still those hints and glimpses of those days gone by, because you're always, you know, within close proximity of Tom Sawyer Island. So let's start off maybe by talking about the, the, the main feature of the Rivers of America, maybe the first thing that people see, which is the Liberty Square Riverboat, now known as Liberty Bell. And one thing that's really interesting is when you approach Liberty Square from the hub, because obviously there's no entrance to Frontierland unless you come through Liberty Square. Liberty Square's entrance from the hub is very much analogous to the entrance to Main Street USA, right? It is that sort of crossing over the threshold, going back in time. The placement of the buildings is very deliberate with the shopping on the left and the dining on the right. We've talked in the past about some of the details and things that we love about Liberty Square. Obviously, uh, you know, the audio tours will sort of give you that virtual deep dive into it. But we talk about sort of the, the use of force perspective in buildings like that. And that, one of the few buildings in Magic Kingdom which doesn't use force perspective is the building that we're sitting under right now, which is the Liberty Square Landing. And whenever I give people tours to the park, so we ask them to look down at the end of, May, at the, end of the, the Liberty Square Main Street to this building. And why does this building not use force perspective? <laughs> that is, you know, it's one of those things where it's, you have this great 
weenie at the end of the street, you know, you, you, whether it's Cinderella Castle or in Frontierland, you have Splash Mountain drawing you in, and you know, you have the full view of the riverboat, but it's pulling you in, and sometimes it's there, sometimes it's not. So it's that one moving weenie that you have going on in the park. And actually, the the building was built full height to hide something. What do, what do you think the building was built to hide? Thunder Mountain. See, that's what, it makes sense, yeah, but Thunder Mountain wasn't here in 1971. Yeah. The building was actually built to hide the riverboat itself. And the reason why was because, again, Liberty Square, Colonial America, 1787, the uh, Robert Fulton didn't build the first this riverboat steamship until 1807, so it really actually doesn't fit into the timing of Liberty Square. So the building was built to actually hide the attraction itself. Right, and so you want to make sure that you're not giving away too much of the story before you get there, and it make, as you're moving through time on the boat as you move forward. Uh, and you know, the same kind of be said for Tom Sawyer Island, where you're seeing all those pieces as you're moving across the country. And so let's talk about the, the uh, riverboat itself. Obviously, you know, speaking of Robert Fulton and the importance of the riverboat in history, I mean, it really did have, uh, you know, importance in terms of opening up the nation to trade, but... This actually was not an opening day attraction. This actually opened on October 2nd. Yeah, it was, it was one day. They weren't quite ready for opening day, and they had some, some glitches and that they had to work on and make sure that it was ready for day two. All right, so it's quiz time. What was the original name of the Liberty Square Riverboat? Richard F. Irvine. Right, who was the former vice president and director of design over at WED, which is now known as uh, Walt Disney Imagineering. And then he was actually the art director over at Disneyland and, and Magic Kingdom, who uh, passed away not long after the um, opening of Magic Kingdom. And she was renamed the Liberty Bell in 96. But she was actually one of a pair of riverboats, and obviously there's only one left. Right. The other one we had was Admiral Joe Fowler, which was here also on October 2nd, but then was retired in 1980. Uh, And when they retired both names, they ended up going ahead and giving the ferry boats Richard F. Irvine and the Admiral Joe Fowler so that that way you still had them both sailing the waterways. And what a lot of people, I think, don't realize, Ryan, is that these are real working steam-powered paddle wheelers. Um, The hull and the superstructure were built by the Todd Shipyards in California, and the engines were actually designed and built by Mapo, which is sort of that, that brand of of Imagineering. The Scotch Marine Boiler was designed and built by the Dixon Boiler Works in California, and it was actually assembled here in Walt Disney World in the in the 70s itself. So you can actually, if you were to follow the Rivers of America back and around, you would actually see the dock where the ships were originally constructed. Right, which is that, you know, you had that rumor about the dry dock, about the, you know, that's why the one ship had to be retired. But they are, they're, they're completely working. You can go see all these pieces, the boiler and the paddles. And, you know, you can actually explore these while you're on the Liberty Bell. And so few guests take that opportunity to really explore that piece of, you know, really industrial history. Yeah, so the current Liberty Bell that we see now actually wasn't the original. It was the second one, which was the Fowler, which was damaged when it was uh, in dry dock and supposedly, you know, was being lifted on a crane and actually fell and was damaged beyond repair. So it was in 1996 that the Irvine went, underwent the refurbishment and was renamed the Liberty Bell, which really makes sense because it's now themed better with the American story being told in Liberty Square all the way through Frontierland. Because this, really, this really helps to be sort of a transitional element as you go from east to west and 
moving forward in time. Although the Admiral Joe Fowler and Richard F. Irvine names were not lost forever because they actually rechristened the Magic Kingdom 1 and Magic Kingdom 2, which are the ferry boats which are on the Seven Seas Lagoon. Right, and, you, and you're right. With the Liberty Bell, you do have that kind of, that more feel of the patriotic spirit as you're moving across the country. You're you know, gaining that independence. You're exploring those new grounds, and you're doing so in style. So before we talk about the, uh, the attraction itself and how it's changed a little bit, not long after it came into service, they actually had um, something that's really cool, and I would love to see this come back in. They had something called the Riverboat Character Cruises in the late 90s. So you'd get on the, uh, the Liberty Bell, and you'd see, like, Goofy, Davy Crockett, Dopey, the Country Bear Jamboree, characters like Wendell and Liver, Grips, Liver Lips McGrawl. There'd be, like, banjo players and musicians up on the decks, and that was a really cool thing because it almost was something that helped draw people on there as well. Look, and I think part of the draw is the beauty of the ship itself and being able to walk around and seeing the mahogany and the steam engine and the boiler room and, and the captain's quarters inside. Yeah, you said, I mean, the captain's quarters alone, just being able to get up there and actually look around is fantastic. But, you know, this was in that era where they were trying to find great areas to, to corner a bunch of characters and get you know, a couple of signatures, get families in. And what perfect way to do it, then you have 20-minute ride to get all these characters and get your pictures and their autographs. And see, like, that the simple sound, like, we've done, like, top ten sounds of Walt Disney World. Like, that's one of my favorites, that sound of the bell and the steam whistle off in the distance. But I think, too, oftentimes people will go and they'll ride. And we see people up on the top deck or the Texas deck and, and the, the front... But don't sit close enough to the speakers to hear the narration, which has changed slightly over the few over the years. Um, the captain is Horace Bixby, who is actually not it's not a fictional character. He's somebody from real history who, like like Mark Twain, was a real person who was a riverboat pilot. Um, he unlike most riverboat pilots who only had one license, he actually had three for the Missouri, the Ohio, and the Lower Mississippi. And he actually met Mark Twain or Sam Clemens. And taught him how to pilot a riverboat and eventually become friends. If you read Twain's Life on the Mississippi, he talks about his relationship with Horace Bixby. He does, and you, you get more of how that relationship was. And he really wanted him to learn how to be a, a pilot and wanted to learn how to apply the, the waterways. And so that's, that's why when the narration comes on, you have Horace Bixby and then Sam, Clemen, Sam Clemens, the pen name of Mark Twain. And it really is a great guided tour, and I think people lose that. It really is sort of a narrated tour around Tom Sawyer Island and the Powhatan Indian Settlement, a not-so-subtle reference to Pocahontas, although they don't actually exist. in They really wouldn't exist in that part of frontier land and, and where they are in time, but you sort of suspend your disbelief a little bit. So one of the things, Ryan, I like about riding the riverboat, uh, especially... Believe it or not, there's actually a rewritability, there's a repeatability factor here because of the different things that you'll see off the port and starboard bows. And one of my favorite things is uh, being able to check out uh, Beacon Joe off the, the port side and his little dog. And I don't know how many years ago they actually added the little jumping fish, like little subtle details that only nerds like us pick up. Right, the things like, you know, Settler's Cabin that used to be a flame and all the history that ties to that. You know, for me, though, my favorite piece is uh, looking off the side and seeing Wilson's cave-in, because I feel like I always have a place to come and stay if I absolutely need it. And despite what people may think, it actually was not named after you, Ryan no, P. Wilson. No, it was actually named after a real pirate hideout on the Ohio River after the Revolutionary War. It was home to somebody named Jim Wilson, 
who was a real river pilot, pirate in a place known as Cave-In Rock. And it also inspired a 1955 episode of Davy Crockett and the River Pirates. See, it all sort of comes together, and we'll talk about the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes and uh, Fort Langhorn, obviously um, originally known as Fort Sam Clements from 73 to 77, both paying tribute to our current narrator, who is Mark Twain, whose real name is Samuel Langhorn Clemens. But if you pay close attention, you'll notice that Fort Langhorn actually is missing the, the E at the end of Langhorn for some reason. Yeah, it's one of those questions you know, for a long time. I know they, they want to tie it all into the movie uh, when they had Tom and Huck come out, but it's missing that E. And, you know, I guess, I guess it, you know, if you want to take the Liberty Square approach, you know, it takes a creative mind to not be able to spell a word at least two ways. <laughs> and I think one of the things that, that you made reference to, which was sort of a staple for a long time of, uh, of this attraction, was the Burning Settler's Cabin, which to the person that has been coming here for years or looks like us, looks to look back on old photographs, that has actually changed a number of times. But the cool thing we used to look for was the real flames. And like you could almost sort of feel the heat coming off the cabin itself. Right. I think part of what Rivers America has always done is make you feel like there's actual life here, whether it's the abandoned little you know raft that had been you know hewn together by, by, from a couple of logs or the cabin. It, you know, it's bringing life into it, whether or not there's actually a person there that you can see, you have these these glimpses into the fact that somebody was there, somebody does live there. There's an actual real-world element to it. And for a while there, too, there actually used to be a few settlers who didn't necessarily survive the, the Indian attack, right? There was a settler who was sleeping with an arrow through his chest um, on the front lawn in front of the, the settler's cabin for a while. Yeah, he was taking a very long nap. That's what I think. That's what how like it was zebra, put. Like the zebras, like the, zebras. the zebras taking the nap on the Jungle Cruise. You know, uh, y- you had that. Y- you had that real world element to it again. So when I was talking about the riverboat character cruises that um, took place not long after the Liberty Bell came into service or after the refurbishment, that was not the only character show that was here. And I will tell you, one of the things I really miss, and it was very short-lived, was not long after the opening of The Princess and the Frog, they had Tiana's Showboat Jubilee, which began sort of at the, the, the border of Frontierland in sort of a dancing street party with Louis the Alligator and Tiana and Prince Davine. And it made its way onto the riverboat, which was decked out in the the purple and the yellow and the green bunting. And there was beads. And it really, again, it sort of didn't fit into the story of Liberty Square, but brought in such an incredible, like, energy and liveliness and music into this part. It really sort of put a whole new energy into this part of Liberty Square and Frontierland. Definitely, and I can remember people lining up along the boardwalk just to watch the riverboat. You know, as it would you know do its pauses and do a little show and a little song and dance, and everyone was just watching this musical number happening on the side of the boat from Frontierland and Liberty Square, and they wanted to see it. They and they would wait, you know, twenty, thirty minutes, you know, almost like a parade, just to see it. And if you were on the boat, you would be on there with the characters, waving to the people on shore. You know, you talk about something that's a, a visual and an, and auditory weenie that would drive people onto an attraction that they might otherwise overlook. Because look, it is it's a relatively long attraction. It's what, about 17 minutes or so 
Um, you have to wait, you know, possibly 20 minutes for it to come back and, and offload um, like we are here. So for some people who are in a rush to get through the park and do as much as they can, this may be one I think that's easily checked off the list in terms of we can skip this one. It's only a boat ride. It doesn't really go anywhere. There's not a lot to see, but I think that they miss a lot. I agree. There's so much to see on it, whether it's, like you said, off the starboard, off the port, or even on the ship itself. But many people just look at it and say that it makes a great photo from the, from the shore, but never take that time to get to know it. And if you're a photographer, you can get great photos from the attraction itself. Especially if you're a Haunted Mansion fan and a Big Thunder fan, you can get some very, very cool shots, especially later on in the day as the sun starts to set. Uh, it's pretty neat. But, you know, even, too, there, there's educational opportunity here. And I know you're on vacation, not necessarily coming here to learn. But you can learn about American history. You can learn about the ship itself. You can go down and talk to the cast members about, you know, the, the real working steam engine and the paddle wheeler. And do we tell them? I guess we can tell them the, 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 the occasional secret. The secret of if you if you're really if you ask really nicely, they will let you go up. And as the riverboat is taking off, you can go up. You can see the captain's log and his ship log, and actually you know blow the horn yourself and be up there for just a few minutes as it makes that first turn, and, and see it from the pilot's perspective. And if you are able to do it, and again, they, it's not all the time, and it depends on the day and the cast member. You also get a really cool pilot's license, a Liberty Bell pilot's license, which I still have stuck in my archive somewhere. Yeah, yeah, with my monorail license. And eventually when I'm tall enough to, to drive a Tomorrowland Speedway car, I'll be able to use that one as well. You just have to have, a, you know, we, we need a bigger wallet for all the licenses that you get around the Magic Kingdom. Secure all cargo. All passengers aboard. Cargo secured. All passengers boarded, sir. All hands stand by. Engine room. Reverse one quarter. Bowman, cast off bow line. Aye, aye, sir. Bow line away. Engine room, head one quarter. Sound last bell. Leadsman, sound off. Give me a depth reading by the mark. By the mark. Halfway. Mark one. Mark way. Mark three. See, now you talk about some of my favorite sounds of Walt Disney World, some of my favorite narrations. That's one of the ones I love. That deep baritone of, of the, the depth readings is awesome. Yeah, singing out Mark Twain. You get the whistle going in the background. You know, it's one of those I was just saying. I was at, you know, out of Fort Wilton this morning. You could still hear the whistle from all the way over there, and it just rings so true, and you, just, you, you know where you are. Starboard side on the middle deck 
And even as we start to pull away from the dock, like I just love the unique views that you get of Liberty Square and certainly Tom Sawyer Island. Absolutely, and you get all you get such a close-up view of some of these buildings, like Harper's Mill, or uh, you, you see all the roof lines across Liberty Square and see how they they change and the different color schemes that they use, and you get that you get an appreciation to actually see these details up close that you don't get standing across the way. So we recently did a, a show about the top ten overlooked attractions in Walt Disney World. And the first one that came to my mind, and I think it probably is, is what we're looking at now, which is Tom Sawyer Island. I think because of where it is, and people may look at the map and say, well, there's nothing really to do on there. There's no reason to, you know, look, you have to make an, like Fort Wilderness, you have to make an effort to get here. You've got to get in line to get on a raft, to get across. But I think that once you do, it's so worth it because there's so much to see and do. And this is all about putting down the map to a certain degree and just going exploring for kids and adults. Definitely. You know, there's no longer a restaurant. There's no longer you know, that pulling you over. You're not getting a fast pass with a paintbrush anymore. It's going over, playing on the playgrounds, looking up at the rifle, root, the rifle roost, taking a, you know, a river raft across the river and just being free to be, have fun and you know, explore. Yeah, and I won't sort of, you know, I'll put a link to the show notes uh, to the, the prior episode where I, I won't sort of make my argument again for why I love Thompson Island, but it's about a place that your kids can go and just sort of expend some of that excess energy. You can wander just a little bit, a, a kind of aimlessly, and I think there's some cool things to see, especially when you do get over to Fort Langhorne and you see the animatronic and watch the blacksmith that's sleeping and go up into the, the fort a little bit. It is one of those real kind of simple pleasures that uh, of early Walt Disney World for me. It absolutely is. You know, and it is, I'm such a child of Fort Wilderness. It's that piece of that exploration, that piece of laid-back kind of atmosphere. You know, we're passing by right now on one of the landings. You could sit and play checkers if you want while you're sitting here watching the riverboat pass. It's that level of relaxation and just letting time slip away, and it's okay to do that. And I think it's cool to go into the caves. I mean, you want to try a place that's dark, but there's cool little details and stuff, too. Like, the first time my kids went into it, like, they had no idea that it even existed here. And they loved sort of that idea that they were going to explore caves, but in clearly a very safe type of environment. Right. It's the, and it's the same thing you see on the backside of Fort Langhorn, where they have a secret passageway. It, it's the same passageway everyone can leave through. But it's so narrow, it's such a dark cave, you have those very thin lights that it is that way for you to feel like you're doing something that you're not supposed to, it's a secret, while still being in a safe place, like you said. And so if you listen to the narration, it's not just about this idea of being on the Mississippi River and ultimately the rivers of America, multiple rivers of America, but they also explain to you what you're seeing in terms of what Big Thunder Mountain is and a little bit of the legend of Big Thunder 
but right here on this little sort of outcropping by Fort Langhorn where there is there are two rocking chairs and a little table and there's a couple sitting there just rocking back and forth waving with a smile on their face like that's it man like that for me is part of what slowing down to you know look around and enjoy some of the simple pleasures like that for me is very cool and it's and it's a reciprocal thing you know you're we're up here we're leaning against the rails looking out at the, the world around us you know whether it's the, the fa- waving at the family sitting on that dock looking at the river markers that have the, all these great catchy names uh you know like howling dog bend or raccoon point you're looking at the at the deer standing off in the distance there's all these just pieces just to let you know that yeah yeah you can it's okay sit down relax let it go Oh, I see what you did there. I, I, you, you, I, I, oh, I my God. You, look at you capitalizing on the, the frozen. I, the, I was like, uh-oh, oh. The minute I said I knew I was in trouble. So I didn't realize that the settler's cabin is no longer burning, but it's still smoking. Right. It, it, it's, a, it's a slow-burning fire that they've had for the last 40 years now. Um, but, it, it, you know, out of the door now they have, like, a smoke effect so that there is still something going on there, even though the, the, the yards become overgrown and there's some, you know, holes in the fire where the fires used to come out. It's still burning. And it's actually, because it's so overgrown and because it's a little dilapidated over the past 40 years, it actually looks, you know, a little bit more authentic. Yeah, it looks like something that maybe a fire just caught there by accident. Maybe it was struck by lightning and, you know, this is the nat- you know, nature taking its course. See, we just did what a lot of people should do, which is go from port side to starboard side. Look at, because there's a lot to see. And what I love here is, is seeing Beacon Joe's little alligator swamp shack with his dog Rufus in the, uh, in the, uh, the little dinghy looking for the fish. And then when the train goes by in the, in the background... Yeah, it just it, it, it sets the scene perfectly for you, and you just—it's all there. Now I, I can even remember the other night I was out at on the boardwalk at Frontierland, looking out over the river, and you could still see Beacon Joe's light way off in distance. It was the only thing you could see down the river, but he's always there. Lots of game out this way. I've seen moose and deer and plenty of other critters along the shoreline. Uh, could be why the Powhatans are out this far. You know, just following the food trail. And if you listen to the narration, they even sort of make reference to the fact that the Paladin Indian tribe probably wouldn't be this far south because it really existed in Virginia. But they followed the food trail and, and sort of made their way here. Obviously, they, they changed the narration when Pocahontas came out to make a little bit more of a tie. But to be able to sort of go by and see this little, you know, Native American village is a nice little treat, especially, you know, I brought my kids here and you know, gave them uh, and showed them, explained to them a little bit more about what they were seeing. It, educate. Look, you're a former teacher. You're, I guess, you'll always be a teacher. But when you can sort of bring a little bit of ed- education into the entertainment, that's what it's all about. It, it's one of those things. I think it's kind of what we, why we do what we do. We're going to teach something, whether it's telling you the best way to, you know, get around the park or telling you why something's there and what the history is behind it. That's that's why we do what we do. And, you know, following the food trail, there are deer on both sides of that encampment so that you understand what, you know, what that life was like for them, that that's what they were looking for. 
you know, you, you start to see, you know, the, the villages that they come up, and you see the life. You see them talking, bartering. You see them preparing foods in a very traditional fashion. And, you know, it's the whole cycle of, you know, of life. You even get to the point where they're talking about the, you know, the fallen warriors. Attention deck one. Go for it started. Engine room. Steady on. We're entering shallow water, but uh, there's no cause for worry. Sam knows every shoal and shallow, every snag and sandbar in this part of the river, and he'll navigate us through to save water. You wouldn't steer us wrong, would you, Sam? I believe we ought never to do wrong, Captain, especially when others are looking. Leadsman, sing out. By the Lord. So here's a deal. Like I've never seen uh, again on, on the port side. I've never seen. I'm not exactly sure what that is. So that's what, and you can hear him talk about it in the narration. That's where they have the the burial for the warriors, and they would come back at nightfall and, re- and uh, retrieve them. But the, such attention to detail, they even keep a trail clear from the river up to the the burial site, so that that way it looks like it's something that they do travel on a normal basis. See, that's what I love. Like, you can come here hundreds of times and still miss little details because chances are I may have been on the starboard side looking for something else. If there's river pirates out here, this is where they'll most likely be. Yep, I can hear them from here. But from all the commotion, it sounds like their interests lie elsewhere. And so as we pass Wilson's cave-in, like you said, it, it looks like somebody is really sort of living inside the cave. And you see one of those squat little boats, which is very reminiscent of another attraction we'll talk about later, because it is sort of one of those little keelboats that you'd find on the, the old Mike Fink attraction. Right, and you have the keelboat on this side. On the other side, from one of the landing, they have Mike Fink's you know, services being listed on an ad. So, it's, it's, again, it's bringing that life, it's, and it's also giving you those names that you know, harken back to another time that you may know something about from your childhood. hereabouts say it's haunted. They say it was built on sacred Indian burial grounds, so now it's filled with spirits. If you ask me, I'd say the ones telling those tales are the ones filled with spirits. If you want proof, just ask them. They got it. About a hundred proof, I reckon. And whatever you do, don't strike any matches if they aim to breathe in your direction. Or you won't just be seeing ghosts, you'll be joining them. See, and that's what I love. Like, this is a great look. You're sitting here. You've been on here a hundred times, but you're still taking pictures because you get such a unique view of the Haunted Mansion. And even in the narration, they make reference to the buildings that you see and tie it into the story that's being told here. The story of the Haunted Mansion in Liberty Square may be different, but when you're on the riverboat, it's given a, a very different spin to it. 
Right. It's very clear that your narrators don't believe that that there are ghosts in this mansion on the on the hillside. That you know they're they're full of spirits of another kind. You know the adult beverage kind. And but you do from this angle, you get to see things like the you know the unkempt gardens along the river that obviously. You know, the, the ghostly characters haven't been taken care of, but it just extends that theme from down from the mansion all the way to the riverside, and you only get that when you're really out here and about. And you also get to see the, the backside of another building, which at one point was the fast pass machines for the Haunted Mansion, which is one of my holy grails of collectibles, because I can't get one. But if you look from here, you can see that at one point, this was a dock, and this was actually the entrance and the loading and unloading area for an attraction known as the Mike Fink Keelboats. And again, Mike Fink, not a Disney-created character, but a legendary boatsman who ran keelboats along the Mississippi in the 1700s. Um, his tales were often told in a lot of Civil War ballads and stories. Uh, he also made two appearances in the Davy Crockett series in 1955 on the ABC Disneyland TV show, um, the Davy Crockett keelboat race. He actually challenges Davy Crockett to a keelboat race to New Orleans. Uh, this attraction ran from 71 to 2001. It was an opening day B-ticket attraction. And they, they were sort of very two unique-shaped boats, the, the Gully Wumper and the Bertha, Bertha May, which were had, they had sort of a, a cabin in the middle and a little um, ladder on the back that you can go up to that second deck. And there was a cast member dressed in the you know Davy Crockett coonskin hat with a little bit of humor and a sort of sometimes not-so-great fake southern drawl. Um, but unlike the Liberty Square Riverboat, it was a free-moving attraction, which means there were no uh, rails or tracks. The, the cast members were actually steering the boat. And you had to watch out for the boats and the canoes that were going, that were on the waterways. It was it was really a water highway back then, and there were so many things going on. You had to take take care to see what was going what was happening around you. Uh, and you did. You had these kind of two dilapidated kind of keel boats, uh, a model of which actually you can find over at Crockett's Tavern as well over at Fort Wilderness. Um, but you did. You had Mike Fink, who became this big character when they brought out more of uh, Davy Crockett after the first three. And he's he was in, uh, lived in infamy on the river. And you made reference to another extinct attraction, which is, uh, of all the ones that are extinct, I wish would come back. It, it exists seasonally in Disneyland, but the, uh, the Davy Crockett Explorer Canoes closed in 1994. It was sometimes a Liberty Square attraction. It was sometimes a Frontierland attraction. But this, um, this actually allowed you, the guest, to be the person who was in control of the boat. It was maybe 32 or 34 or so guests that could board a boat uh, led by a cast member in the front or back. And you had to work it, man. Like, you had to paddle these rivers. So you got a little bit of a workout to work off your Nutella waffle from Sleepy Hollow Refreshments. But it was a great way to see, you know, not just the rivers of America, but Frontierland and Liberty Square from a very unique vantage point. It's, it's like we're talking about now, you know, standing up on the upper decks, looking out over the river. This was a different perspective. You're looking up, you're seeing what life was like to a person on the river. And you were, you had to, you had to be able to paddle. You had to be able to get that boat going. It was, you know, it wasn't like in summer camp when you're taking a lazy paddle. You had to get moving. Yeah, there was no chicken exit for the Davy Crockett Explorer. Like once you were on, man, you were on, and yeah. you, you had to work it. Yeah, yeah, there was no, and and there was no jumping off and swimming the shore. You were you were in for the long haul, and and Davy Crockett and his gear was going to make sure you were pushing with them. So as you alluded to, you know, at one point in, in history, you know, in the early 1970s, uh, after Tom Sawyer Island opened, 
the rivers of America were a pretty hopping place, right? Let's think about it. You had the Liberty Square River boat, the Mike Finkiel boats, the Davy Crockett Explorer canoes, and all the rafts going back and forth to Tomsor Island. I mean, there was a lot of activity, a lot of uh, kinetic things going on on the rivers of America itself. Yeah, it didn't matter. You know, you had guests everywhere just on the water, and there were so many attractions that you could take part in and so much to see. It gave it a real, like I think, I think, you know, a water highway for people to just maneuver down and, and to see, and it brought life to the place when you're looking at it from Frontierland or Liberty Square. So, all right, let's play a little, uh, a little bit of nostalgia here. If you can, only, if you could bring one of the following back, what would it be? The Mike Fink keelboats, the Davy Crockett Explorer canoes, Aunt Polly's Dockside Inn, or the original Richard F. Irvine. Oh, that's that's not even a fair I'm game. Nostalgic that's not even. I expected you to actually bring out like the rock, the rock boulder playground from Tomsor Island. I was gonna be like, oh, that's just gonna be miserable. Um, you know, as much as I'd love to see something come back to Aunt Polly's, I would probably say either the keelboats or the canoes, just to bring a, you know more movement, more life back to to the river and give it something different. You know, I love the Richard F. Irvine, but we we still have one paddle boat, and this gives us a different way to look at the river. Yeah, it's. I can't believe I'm going to say something that's not the easy bring back a food location because I, yeah. I love Aunt Polly's and I love that the the fact that the little uh, seating area is still there. So if you do go across, you know, I, I'm sure we've both done it. We've taken our notebooks or our laptops and gone and sat and worked over there because it's quiet, because of the unique views that you get. I love the sound of the haunted mansion, uh, of the howl off in the distance, and the sound of the bell. Like those are just familiar, comforting, classic Walt Disney World sounds. But I think, yeah, I think I might say, um, I would probably say having the canoes come back, right? Because it's, it's again, we keep going to this idea of a less passive Walt Disney World experience. We want interactive. We're talking about interactive. That was the no-tech interactive experience yeah. right there. It definitely is that. It's also that, you know, we're looking at it and we're in a day and age where everyone is starting to look more back at, at fitness, more eating healthier, you know, that, that healthier lifestyle. This is that way to bring that with you on vacation, even if just for a few minutes. See, I knew you were going to do this. I knew. So we're walking along the, um, the passage um, that sort of... Uh, on the shores of the Rivers of America, which was obviously not here opening day. This was added later on when Splash Mountain opened to give guests a way to bypass the parade route and sort of move through. But you and I are the only guys that we've watched, we've been sitting here for a few minutes, that walk over to this unsuspecting maybe eight-foot-by-eight-foot shack and look in the window to see if we can see. And fortunately, right, there's a payoff, right? You go and look in some of the windows and you find some cool little details like some old tin cans, as if th- this is though it is some sort of um, workshop for somebody who'd be working along the river, maybe somebody who'd be maintaining these river rafts. You have a washboard, you have some little lanterns, a, a water pitcher. Yeah, it, you know, there's some tools. This is where they would keep their stuff and when they were working on the river or when they came in. And just that, that this is where they would stay for the night. I'm, they were a lot shorter than I was if they're sleeping in there. But... Uh, but this is this is their home. This is where they live, and so many people, you know, walk by and they don't even notice it. They don't notice it whether they're on the riverboat, whether they're on the shore. 
but it, 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 it's it's that lifeblood of of this area. See, and look at the people looking across, going, "What are those two nerds doing, looking in the windows of that of that cabin?" Move on and go ride an attraction, would you? So, okay, there. So we're walking by a little bit farther towards Splash Mountain, and this is the, this has sort of been the common thread since you and I became friends, yeah. low those many years ago. Everybody else walks by these innocuous crates and barrels on the side, and this is where we stop to take pictures yep. of the soap crate and the dynamite, uh, the, the, the gunpowder barrel. But we look for things like the crate that's addressed to S.L. Clemens at 208 Hill Street in Hannibal, Missouri. Yeah, the, the home of, you know, Hannibal being the home of Mark Twain, Samuel Clemens, you know, and we, and we do, and we look for those, those little details, that, you know, what has changed, what's moved, you know, the new basket of fruit, you can tell it's a new <laughs> basket of fruit because it doesn't look like it's been sun bleached yet, but those are the things that we look for, those are the names, you know, I can't even remember walking by the other day, I realized they've changed, you know, the fire chief is no longer the same fire chief for the Reedy Creek Department because the name on the barrels have changed, or the crate by, by Thunder Mountain, so those are the details that, that yeah, you and I have looked for since, since time immemorial. And as we stand here and get a view of Splash Mountain and Big Thunder Mountain, off in the distance we see another little landing, which is where the canoes uh, departed from uh, at some point. But there's also two totem poles. And if you look back at those early pictures of Walt Disney World around opening day, when it was not so lush and overgrown and Tom Sawyer Island wasn't here, and this entire area, I'm going to tug it in nostalgic heartstrings again, was... Like the rest of Florida, flat and barren because this was going to be phase two, right? This was going to be the Mark Davis Thunder Mesa Western River Expedition, and only thing that you could see off in the distance were those two totem poles, which still remain there forty some odd years later. Yeah, you had your little red, you know, train station right at the end of the street, but then that was off in the distance, and you could see that. And even as you're taking the boat, that was the beginning of you know entering into the to Indian country and seeing what was out there. And, you know, now it's come to the border of, of what you know is civilization in Frontierland. But it, it is. It's, it's, it's been there since, since opening day, and it does. It tucks at the heartstrings. It's something fierce. And so I think now, you know, I think that the Rivers of America um, and the Liberty Bell and Tom Sawyer Island is, are not only overlooked experiences, and I know I, I use that a lot, but I think that we see how many people say, oh, I've never been to Tom Sawyer Island, or I've never been on the riverboat. It doesn't really... I think this is a really nice way to spend a part of your early morning or even better yet, near the end of the day. Obviously, Tom Sawyer Island and the riverboat, uh, they close at dusk. This is a really nice sort of relaxing way to spend the end of the day uh, and sort of maybe get away from the hustle and bustle of Frontierland and Main Street uh, and and Liberty Square a little bit uh, at the end of the day. I think, have we done a deep dive into Tom Sawyer Island, maybe? And maybe we need to go exploring one day. And, uh... do that. I've, I've given more than one tour of Tom Sawyer Island, that's for sure. <laughs> but it is, it, it is that area that you can look at at the end of the day or at the beginning of your day. And it's just a way to relax. You know? or, or even if, it, if you're doing it early in the morning, make it towards the middle or end of your trip where you maybe need that time to just relax and, and settle down a little bit. And it gives, you that, it gives you that nice recharge, that nice boost to keep going on and... It, but it, 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 it's such a great place to explore, and I've done so many. I've taken so many friends over there who have said, "I don't go over there. I've never. I haven't been over there in 15 years." I'm like, "You need to. You know, you need to re-explore. It. You need to rediscover it." And look, you know, part of what we both do, you know, me on the show and you over at MainStreetGazette.com, is we want to introduce people to the great details and stories that the Imagineers put into places like this that so many people 
walk by or run by because they're trying to make you know the dash to splash or, or the race over to, to Big Thunder Mountain. These are places that you should slow down. And you know what, parents too, you can also you know make them a little bit of an educational opportunity for your kids. Teach them about American history and American folklore, who Samuel Clemens was, what Fort Langhorne means. You know, my kids were asking me, you know, who's Tom Sawyer, who's Huck Finn? So I was able to introduce them to that part of American literature, which probably they would have been introduced to this early on in school. So uh, there's educational benefits, there's great imagineering here, there's great story, great, great ways to relax in what I think are overlooked attractions. And Rivers of America, you know, uh, for, for decades has really been, has gone from being sort of the hub of activity to really more of a slower, quieter place to just take it easy in the park. And even if it does come back to being that hub of activity, no matter what, it's it's still that place to take to take your time and to enjoy yourself. Another place, look what I'm doing here, to take your time and go enjoy yourself is over at Main Street Gazette. It's MainSTGazette.com. That's you're you're also that on the Twitter, aren't you? Main ST Gazette. I'll link to it in the show notes. I, I've said this for so long and it's true. Like you are a prolific writer who does a little bit of everything and what I love certainly are some of the nostalgia and the history and you have access to documents and pictures that I have never seen before and I and I love being able to sort of take a trip on those way back machines like we do on the show but when I go and read the Gazette. I'm just glad to be able to share it with everyone. That's that that brings me the joy. Look, I know you've got cool stuff at home. Just leave them to me in your will, just in case that's all I'm saying. But that's a reciprocal thing. It goes both ways. Time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see and possibly even in what you hear. You can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. But before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, coming off our Twilight at the Tower event, I was all about Disney MGM and Hollywood Studios and specifically Sunset Boulevard, so your question was about the original Theater of the Stars, which is located where Sunset Boulevard now sits. And I said that in the early 1990s, about 1990, 1991, a stage show was presented there based on characters from what live-action Disney movie? I want to thank again the hundreds of you who entered. Most of you got this one correct this week. A few of you thought it was Hollywood's Pretty Woman, but that was actually not based off of the movie Pretty Woman. Fortunately so. Uh, the movie we were looking for was Dick Tracy. That was Dick Tracy starring in the Dick Tracy Diamond Double Cross show. That ran from about May 1990 through February 1991. Some of the other sto- shows that play there was Hollywood's Pretty Woman, as well as Hollywood Hollywood. A couple of other smaller shows that ran briefly, as well as Beauty and the Beast live on stage, which is currently r- running in the new Theater of the Stars right now. So I took all of the correct entries Randomly selected one, you were playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom history and secrets and stories and details. 
as well as a copy of my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book. And I also was going to throw in a mystery pin. So last week's randomly selected winner is Michelle Capasso. So Michelle, congratulations. I'll get your package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay. Because here's your next opportunity to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're going to go from the studios to Magic Kingdom, obviously spending time in and around Tom Sawyer Island this week. So your question is this. Tell me, what is the name of the mystery mine on Tom Sawyer Island? It has a specific name to it. Check your guide maps, check your old maps, check your photographs. And you have until Sunday, October 26th, to email your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. And again, you're playing for a copy of 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World and all six of my virtual audio tours of Walt Disney World. To find out more or order your own, you can visit wdwradio.com. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Don't forget that in addition to the podcast, which you can find and subscribe to over on iTunes, visit www.radio.com for our multiple daily blog posts, videos, newsletter, app for your mobile device, discussion community, and lots more. Also, you can subscribe to our free email newsletter, get exclusive content, contest offers, and more. You can also visit the store page to order copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books, audio tours, or 102 ways to save money for an at Walt Disney World book, as well as order WW Radio logo gear. You know, I love hearing from you, so if you have a question you want answered on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com or call the voicemail I'll be heard on the air at 407-900-9391. You can also tweet me. I'm at Lou Mangiello, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello, or like the page at facebook.com slash Radio. In addition to connecting with you online, Nothing beats a handshake and a hug, so hopefully you can come out to one of our events. Our next meet of the month in Walt Disney World is going to be Saturday, November 8th. That is the weekend of the Wine and Dine Run Disney race, which takes place at 10 o'clock at night. So we're going to have the meet up that Saturday morning at 1130 at the outside seating area at La Cantina de San Angel over at the Mexico Pavilion. Anyone and everyone is welcome, so please come by, say hi, bring the family. Like I said, everyone is welcome. If you'd like to, you can RSVP. You don't have to on our Facebook event page. And the weekend after, I'll actually be out in Disneyland for the Avengers Half Marathon Weekend. So, of course, you know, food tastes better in a cone, and it also tastes better when it's shared with friends. So we're going to meet on Saturday, November 15th, long after the 5K race finishes over at the Cozy Cone Motel at 11.30 a.m. Again, you can find out more by visiting the events page over at www.radio.com. You can also find out some other places I'll be around the country and find out how to book me for your conference, for your business, to come speak at your school or to work with me in a group or one-on-one by visiting my personal website over at loumangello.com. Thanks, as always, to Mouse Fan Travel. They are my official recommended travel provider because it's who I use. So if you're coming to Disneyland or World or Cruise, maybe with us next year to Alaska, you can find out more on the events page. Visit MouseFanTravel.com for the best possible prices, all available discounts. Most importantly, an incredible level of service at no additional cost to you. And if you want some Disney magic delivered right to your door, visit CelebrationsPress.com. Also, I'll be at the Swan and Dolphin Food and Wine Classic 
next Saturday, November 1st. So if you are out there on the promenade enjoying the food and the wine and the entertainment, please come by. Say hi. I'll be there from about 5.30 until they basically kick me out. One of my favorite events of the year. And finally, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, I mean that so sincerely. All I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Tell your friends about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Tweet me at Lou Mangiello. Share links and comment over on Facebook. And please, the most helpful thing that you can do is go to iTunes, search for WDW Radio, rate and review the show there. We have almost 900 reviews right now. I'd love to get to a thousand five-star reviews if possible. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Jody Toady, I love the name, Jen Jason, Scott MCP, Geek Lama, and Big Shere Khan. Again, thank you guys so very much. And I also want to thank you, as always, for allowing me to do what I do, to share my positive love and passion for Walt Disney World with you in so many different ways. I feel so fortunate and so blessed and so grateful to you for taking the time to listen. And I I hope and I want you to be inspired to do what you love. So today, right now, today is the perfect day to change direction, to take a small step and start heading towards whatever that new destination, whatever that goal is that you want to achieve. And if there's some way that I can help you, please let me know how because that's how I can say thank you to each and every one of you. In the meantime, I hope you guys have a fantastic week this week. So until next time, see ya. Hi, Lou. It's Christy Keene from West Lafayette, Indiana, just calling to check in. We are headed down to Walt Disney World on Wednesday. We're bringing our adult daughter and grandson who is homeschooling so we've got a whole list of fun things we're going to do oh no they're educational things but they're really fun things and um just kind of sad that we missed the october meet but hoping against hope that in december you'll schedule one when my husband and i are back for christmas time um we're going to be there the 4th through the 15th so maybe maybe we'll hit you then um, just wanted to let you know that I loved, loved the episode. I've been meeting and meeting to call to tell you how much I love the episode where you and um, Deanna, is that your wife's name, Deanna? I'm sorry if that's not it. And your kids did the review at Captain Cook's. That was one of my very favorites. It was right up there with Julie Andrews and all the um, top tens with you and Tim. So hope you're having a great week. Looking forward to being back in my home away from home and we will see you real soon hopefully bye-bye hi this is sarah in tampa calling in with a recommendation for a very romantic restaurant um i know because i recently got engaged at this location and it was my fiance's first trip to walt disney world so in order to make it as comfortable and a pleasant experience for us both I really did a lot of research finding a resort that I feel that he would be comfortable in and enjoy himself, something that was relaxing. And also I booked several dinners at different locations around Walt Disney World in case he decided to pop the question, which he did. And I'm most thankful that he did so at the Artist Point restaurant at the Wilderness Lodge. Um, a couple quick things that I found Extra spectacular, of course, the service at some of these restaurants in the resort is going to be at a much more leisurely pace. 
they may not push you through your entree appetizers, your desserts quite as quickly as if you had opted to dine in the parks, for example. And it was also a very dark, quiet, romantic spot, which can be a difficult find in Walt Disney World, especially after a long day in the parks and you're tired and you've just gone home to get a little freshened up for dinner, but you don't want to be feeling like you're in the limelight. So there was just a lot of things about that particular restaurant and that I think he immediately realized this is probably a great place to do it. And he intimated to me later that he was very happy he chose that restaurant. Um, compared to some of the other ones, you know, he may not have felt quite so comfortable. And we know that, uh, at least I know, he was very, very nervous. And the cast members there did a great job helping him um, to do it in a unique and interesting way. And it was just lovely. So I would recommend it strongly, anyone that wants a nice romantic dinner, If you know somebody who may be interested in proposing on Walt Disney property, I can put that very high at the top of my list. And, of course, I'm very, very partial to it because that's where I was proposed to. But also, um, they did give us a nice little commemorative menu. They actually had something printed up for us in the back room. And by the time we'd finished our our champagne and dessert, um, we had a, a nice little printout with a photograph that the manager came out and took of us together and it had printed everything that we'd eaten that night and the wine choices and, of course, the date at the bottom. It says, you know, he asked and she said yes. It was just a really, really nice uh, commemorative piece. And they were gracious enough to give me three, one for myself, one for my mother, and one for my father. So that was um, something that it didn't occur to me at the time. And then when I had to go divvy them up, it was just, um, the icing on the cake, and, and I can't say enough about it. I'm sure there are other lovely restaurants, and I, I would love to hear their views. Hello, Lou Mangiello. Hello, WDW Radio Box People and WDW Radio Disney Wonder Alaska Cruisers. I am so happy and pleased to say we are like 231 days away from our cruise to Alaska out of Vancouver. And we are going to be heading out on around May 30th to get there. I booked my airfare. Um, I had a ticket now so I could get the right flights out and back. There wasn't uh, very much time for me to choose from because my husband has to get back to work. So, but it's done. Yay! I'm a step closer to going to Alaska. Um, We're flying right out of our hometown, which made more sense. So if that helps you, I, you know, you can look all over the place. Um, I really wanted a direct flight, but there are none from here. So I hope you have better luck. Um, but I'm only landing, gonna be going down once and up and then down. Um, so that'd be good. Um, no two stops. I did a one stop. So that works out for me. I hope you guys all have a magical weekend. The fall colors are in bloom here. The weather is holding out. Um, It was lows in like 2030 last night, but this afternoon for our Buffalo Bills game is um, 55 degrees, and um, I'm just hopeful that everybody is having a very nice day, and I hope all is well and everybody stays healthy, okay? Um, remember to take your vitamins and don't 
touch your face with your hands with everything going around. Have a great day. Have a magical one. See you real soon. Oh, and almost 30 days away from me going back to WDW Walt Disney World. Yay! Bye, guys. You've got a friend.